0: Welcome back, young scientists. I'm Dr. Universe, and if you're anything like me, you've got lots of big questions about our world. On this episode, we'll investigate some of them. Like, why does ice cream melt? Why are some berries poisonous? How do we learn things that are really, really hard? A big thanks to our kid narrator from Regional Theater of the Blues. Our top is a proud sponsor of STEAM Learning. Discover the art of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. STEM makes life possible and art makes it worth living. Support your local arts and humanities program. Together, STEM is gaining STEAM. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Bella. This question comes from Asia, age nine in Seattle, Washington. Dr. Universe, why do we have to keep things like ice cream and popsicles in the freezer? It's always fun to talk with our friends at the WSU Creamery about science questions, just like yours. My friend John Halgen was happy to help out. He reminded me how all things in our universe are made up of matter, even ice cream and popsicles. Atoms make up three states of matter. A solid, liquid, or gas. One thing that affects something's state of matter is temperature. How do states of matter and temperature play a part in making ice cream?
1: The first thing that happens is is it comes in as raw milk from the dairy farm, and the dairy has to get it into their tank. So they have to get it cooled down using refrigeration. When it comes to the creamery, it has to stay at 40 degrees in our tank, so we have ice water in the jackets of the tanks that keep it cold.
0: Okay, listeners, 40 degrees Fahrenheit is about as cool as the inside of your refrigerator. What comes next?
1: We add the cream, extra cream to get the butterfat level up, and we add sugar and dried milk solid so it's the right consistency for what we want for ice cream. And we heat it up from that 40 degrees to 155 degrees Fahrenheit for a half an hour.
0: The high temps kill any bacteria that might've found their way into the mix. Then the mix goes back into the fridge.
1: That liquid mix stays at 40 degrees overnight. So yeah, there's a lot of things that go on with ice
0: cream. At these temperatures, all the atoms that make up the liquid mix are able to spread out and move around they can travel freely in their container. But when the mix goes through a cooling process, things begin to change. What happens?
1: Then after it has been in the liquid phase long enough, then we run it through what's basically like a soft serve machine.
0: The machine has a blade that stirs the ice cream mix to help it freeze into ice cream as it moves through a tube. The ice cream mix comes out a bit like soft serve. It's thicker than a liquid, yet not quite a solid.
1: And that's where it gets the inclusion's mixed into it, like if you're putting chocolate chips in there or cookie dough pieces. And then right before it goes into the box, it gets the ripple added to it, if it's a, one with a ripple like tin lizzie. And so then it goes into the box at that about 5 degrees above zero, and then we put it into our minus 20 freezer.
0: Through the cooling process, the atoms slow down a lot. They get into a kind of organized or orderly pattern, and they don't move around nearly as much as they do in a liquid state. In the negative 20 degree freezer, the ice cream becomes super solid.
1: And when it's time to scoop it, we take it out, we bring it up and we put it in a freezer that's between zero and five degrees Fahrenheit. It has to be in there at least overnight or you won't even be able to scoop it. You can't scoop ice cream at minus 20 degrees. It's solid, it's really hard. You you have to use an ice pick to chip it out of there.
0: If you eat ice cream on a warm day, the atoms that make up the ice cream start absorbing some of that heat energy. The energy causes the atoms to start moving quicker again. The solid becomes a liquid, and you might just end up with a melty mess on your hands. The next time you go out for ice cream, or maybe even make some of your own at home, think about all the atoms that make up your favorite frozen treat. Now that's some sweet science. Hey, Bella, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Cookies and cream. Delicious. This next question is all about poisonous berries. This one comes from Bianca, age four and a half in California. Where does the poison come from and how does it get in the berries? That's a good question, Bianca. A lot of living things on our planet have defenses they use in the wild to help them survive. For plants, being poisonous may help keep them from becoming someone's dinner. Our next guest is plant breeder, Wendy Hawashi Earhart. So what exactly is it that makes berries poisonous?
2: They contain compounds that interfere with some method of our digestion, or they interfere with something that needs to work in our body in a way that makes us sick and can even be lethal.
0: Okay, listeners, so we just talked about atoms in our last question about ice cream. And when atoms come together, they form compounds.
2: Some of those metabolites or those compounds have a, seem to have a function of protecting those fruits from insects or other predators like birds or animals.
0: When critters come by and eat the berries, they can get sick. It's a reminder not to eat those plants in the future
2: or else. They tend to leave those plants alone to reproduce in peace.
0: Can you tell us more about how that works?
2: There are lots of plants that have berries. That's just the way that their fruit is formed and a way that they reproduce themselves by having seeds that form within the berries that then they are dispersed and can create new seedlings and new plants.
0: Thanks for helping us with the question. Before we go, can you tell us a little about what you do as a scientist who works in plant breeding?
2: the major genus that i work with which is rubus which is what raspberry belongs to like all of the known berries those are all edible so there aren't any poisonous rubus plants raspberry has a lot of relatives within rubus so they're related and they can often interbreed so like you can you can breed together a raspberry and a blackberry and you'll get a new kind of berry called a tayberry over the centuries humans have identified what plants you know are good for food and then plant breeding is a method by which we try to improve it.
0: Through learning about the inner workings of plants, plant breeders help us find ways we can improve the size, sweetness, and overall taste of fruit. It's great to know there are scientists working hard out there to bring delicious food to our tables. Before we move on to our final question, did you know that cucumbers and bananas are also technically berries?
2: Who knew? The word berry, how we use it in common language, and what's a botanical berry is actually pretty different. And so, actually a strawberry is not a true berry, and neither is raspberry. There's always something
0: new to learn and discover. You can learn more about the differences between berries and botanical berries at AskDoctorUniverse.wsu.edu. Here's a tough one for you, Dr. Universe. Kai, age 12, writes in, Dear Dr. Universe, How do you learn something really, really hard? There are so many different things we can learn in our world, but that doesn't mean learning is always so easy. Maybe you wanna learn a process like how to complete a Rubik's cube, code an app, design a solution to a problem, or answer science questions. Our next guest, Sarah Fick, is an assistant professor of science education at Washington State University She said, one way to learn something hard is to ask a lot of questions of yourself and other people. So you're off to a good start. Yeah, so so my first question is, why is it hard? Is it hard because you have to memorize something complicated? Or is it hard because you want to understand how a process works? If you want to look at a hard problem, Fick said you might even look at it through the lens of a scientist. Through collecting data, researchers can help us build on current knowledge to create new knowledge. Another thing scientists do is create a model or draw a picture showing how they think something works. A model can sometimes help us understand what we know and what we still have questions about. I think the important thing about learning something that's really, really hard is thinking about what question you have about how it works and thinking about what evidence you can have that will help you to answer that question. At WSU, Fixed Research helps us better understand how students like you can use their knowledge from one subject, like math, to help them learn more about another area, like science. Learning often happens when we find connections between different subjects and also when we find connections to our daily life. It could be that it's hard because you're having trouble thinking about what you already know that's related to this new thing that you're learning about. So how do you make connections between what you already know and what you currently know? Depending on what experience you've had in learning and the knowledge you've gained from your family and community, You're going to come at these problems with your own strengths. Finally, while it may feel frustrating to work through these kinds of questions, that's sometimes a good sign. You might be wrestling with knowledge that's new to you, and you might be on your way to an aha moment when you gain a better understanding. That's all for this episode, friends. We hope you learned something new and maybe even came up with some new questions. A big thanks to our scientists at Washington State University and our kid narrator from the Regional Theater of the Palouse, and thanks to you for listening. You make this podcast possible. As always, kids can submit science questions of their own at AskDoctorUniverse.wsu.edu. That's A-S-K-D-R-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-E.wsu.edu. Who knows where your questions will take us next.